Welcome to Rex Factor! This week, Eldgeth of Mercia! With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! And welcome to Rex Factor, reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England from Elswith to Prince Philip. Who is it this week? This Genuine week, question, I've, told we've, I've told you about five times yeah. to get to the uh, opening credits. It's Eldgith of Mercia. Have you spoken of her yet? Well, she's the one where I've kind of been in two minds about whether to call her Eldgith or Edith. Um, I'll, I'll explain why that slight query. Um, but she's a significant one in our journey of the consorts because she is the final Anglo-Saxon consort. Final Anglo-Saxon consort, as in final consort to Anglo-Saxons, or are there any other consorts who are Anglo-Saxon? Well, it's an interesting point of distinction, and handily, she is both the last (laughs) consort to an Anglo-Saxon monarch and the last Anglo-Saxon to be a consort. Mm. For Eldgith of Mercia, perhaps appropriately for the uh, Saxons, she's one of these ones who's going to be a bit of a peripheral character to her own episode. Yeah. So her narrative will bring in a lot of very interesting history. Mm-hmm. We don't have an awful lot of detail about her. Birth? No one even speculates when she's born. What? Don't even have a rough estimate. Why is getting worse? I know. <laughs> Probably just based on her dates, um, sometime between 1030 and 1040 would make sense. Mm. Uh, she's the daughter of Elfgar, the Earldman of Mercia, mm. and a woman called Elfgiva, who is not one of the Elfgivers we've done previously. Mm-hmm. And she's one of three siblings, so she's got two brothers, Edwin and Morka. Oh, hang on. Indeed, they are right. familiar names yeah. who we will come to in the story. So originally I put her down as an Eldgith, then I shifted to calling her Edith because I decided that Eldgith is essentially, we would now translate it to Edith. Mm-hmm. But then you asked, and you're quite right, that is there an Anglo-Saxon name which is essentially Edgith? And Did there I? is. Oh, yeah. Right. So I thought, right, we'll call her Eldgith, and also it you know, just helps to differentiate her. Okay. Technical question at this point. Do you have a cold? I have had a cold, yes. Do I sound a little... You sound uh, a little... Yeah. Are you all right? Oh, no, I'm okay. I was sneezing so much yesterday, and I never sneeze. I don't think I've ever heard you sneeze. Whereas you used to regimentally sneeze. I used to keep a, to keep a spreadsheet, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, sneeze, sneeze sheet. sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> 12 o'clock every day. That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah. Anyway, mm. um... In terms of her appearance, she's described as being a woman of considerable beauty by William of Eumiege, and uh, Walter Mapp, another contemporary, wrote of a beautiful lady much beloved by the king. Mm, right, okay. We don't have an actual description beyond that point, but okay. you know, nevertheless. And the king is Godwinson. Well, indeed, although that perhaps is not necessarily who is being referred to in that quote. We'll what? come back to that. We will come back to that. So, a bit of backgroundy stuff for Eldgith and her family, essentially, to get a sense of where she's coming from. Mm. And obviously, the clue in the name is the Of Mercia bit. Yeah. And I was going to ask about that, because it started uh, Mercia, and then early, earlier on, it was all about Wessex. Mm. Now we're back with the Mercians. Yeah, we've seen it's a return to uh, the theme, which I guess was interrupted a bit with Edith of Wessex last time, but we've mm. had quite a few recently powerful... Mercian women. Wolverhampton and all that. All the sort of Wolverhampton-y lot. And we are here again, right at the end, 
the marriage mm. of Wessex and Mercia. So um, she is part of this Mercian heritage. Uh, her grandfather, paternal grandfather, is a chap called Leofric, the Earldom of Mercia, who's mm. a very powerful man that we'll look at in a moment. But also, quite interestingly, her grandmother is Lady Godiva. The, the Coventry one? That Lady Godiva. The one who, by legend, uh, rode naked through the streets of Coventry to remit her husband's heavy taxes, that husband being Leofric, the Alderman of Mercia. Yeah, on a horse, all, all, all Billy Crackers, nothing there at all. Yeah. Is that true? Well, she is a real-life person. So whether or not she actually rode naked, we'll look in the Privy Chamber a little bit more about the legend of Lady Godiva. Peeping Tom's in the Privy Chamber. Uh, she probably did not literally ride Starkers through the streets of Coventry, mm. but she did really exist. She was a wealthy and uh, notable woman uh, in her own right, and she is the grandmother of Eldgith of Mercia. There we are. Rex fact. Mm. So Leofric, the paternal grandfather, God, uh, Godiva's husband, he was appointed the Earldom of Mercia by Canute. Oh, that's going back a bit. Indeed, and he was the second most powerful uh, nobleman in the country behind Godwin. Ah. Father of Harold Godwinson and, of course, the Earldom of Wessex. Yes. And these two have something of a rivalry. When we had the succession dispute with Emma and Harthur Canute versus Elfgiva of Northampton and Harold Harefoot, Godwin was initially on Emma's side, mm. but Leofric is on Elfgiva's side because mm -hmm. it's the Mercian links later on he supports edward the confessor in 1051 when he has his conflict with the godwin family and briefly exiled them from the country oh yeah and yeah. repudiated either of yes. wessex uh, and he eventually dies in 1057 right so that's the grandfather very much fighting the wessex mercy battle that's the grandfather it's her grandfather so he's around until quite late in this story yeah he's quite old really yeah dying yeah. in 1057 yeah that's nearly... I mean, we're all thinking about it, aren't we? The big date on the horizon. Indeed. And he almost gets there. Yeah. He must have been gutted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I really want to stay alive for another nine years. Why? Don't know. <laughs> now, in terms of the maternal line, I don't want to go too much into genealogies because mm. I know that's where the eyes can start to cross and it mm. all gets a bit confusing. But it's possible that she could be descended from Wolfram of Wolverhampton fame. The, the Lady of Wolverhampton. Lady of Wolverhampton. Now, to make this a little bit clearer, I've yeah. made a family tree. Oh, I love a family tree. It's like a map. Well, it is, isn't it? Family map. Ooh. So here's Wolfram at the top. Lovely. So Wolfram had three children. Wolfric Spot, the eldest son. Brilliant. Who doesn't seem to have had any children, or maybe a daughter that doesn't then have children. Elfhelm's the second son, and he's the father of Elfgiva of Northampton that we did a couple of episodes ago, who is the mother of Harold Harefoot. Mm. And finally, a daughter called Elfrith. Now, Elfrith was the mother of a woman called Eldgith. Now, there's some debate over who Eldgith married. Mm. So if she married a chap called Sigurfuth, mm. then this is the Eldgith who later goes on to marry the king, Edmund Ironside, mm. and is the ancestor of Edgar the Atheling, and ultimately that comes back into the royal line. In Scotland. Scotland. Or... If Eldgith married Sigurfuth's brother, a chap called Morker, hmm. a different one to the Edwin of Morker, we think that Morker has a daughter with Eldgith called Elfgiva, which is the name of Eldgith of Mercia's mother. And thus it's possible that Eldgith of Mercia, by that line, is a descendant of Wolfram. It all depends on this Eldgith, whether she married Sigurfuth or she married Morker. And if that's the same... And if that's the same It seems woman. likely, though... Because yeah. it's a 
powerful families. And the fact we know that Elgith of Mercia, one of her brothers, is called Morka. And thus that would be naming after... Ah, Daddy. Yeah. Yeah. Or grand, Granddaddy. Oh, uh, right. But one way, obviously, would then mean that that Elgith isn't the ancestor of all of this lot. Oh, uh, yeah. But one way or the other, one of the Elgiths was related to yeah. Wolfram. So I that's interesting uh, if, you are li- if you're interested in the genealogy of St. Margaret, but also interesting if you're in- interested in the genealogy of this person. Yeah. So someone wins. Either way, they, we see in this period there's a lot of alliances and intermarriage between the likes of, I guess, the Leofric, Elfgiver, Wolfram. These families are all mm. very much linking together. So even if they're not necessarily descended in this way, there's almost certainly links and yeah. ties of kinship there one way or the other. So... Yes. Mercia yes. and the Wessex conflict. As I mentioned, we've seen this in various episodes. Um, Elfgiver of Northampton, her father and brothers were murdered under Ethelred the Unready. Also, Sigurdfuth and Morka that we mentioned both ended up getting killed. We saw Leofric siding against Godwin in 1035 and 1051. So this has really been a pattern of the last 50 years of Wessex and Mercia odds with each other. Oh, yeah. And it steps up again with Eldgith of Mercia's father, Elfgar. So Elfgar, Eldgith's father, Leofric's son, um, he became the Eldman of East Anglia in 1051 when, uh, when the Godwins were expelled briefly by oh, Edward yeah. the Confessor. So he sort of gets in there. But of course, when they came back in 1052, Elfgar has to give his Eldman back, Eldman right. status back to Harold Godwinson. So what's he left with? Uh, when Godwin dies in 1053, Harold Godwinson then gets promoted to be Elderman of Wessex. So at this mm. point, Elfgar gets to be Elderman of East Anglia again. All oh, right, so he was wait- He was just waiting. Yeah, he's yeah. just waiting for people yeah. to die so that he can inherit it. It's like trying to get promotion in the BBC. Mm. Now, for some unknown reason in 1055, he was exiled on the charges of treason. Oh. We don't know exactly what went on. May being connected to the Earldman of Northumbria, it became vacant that year, and Elfgar might have hoped to be named as the Earldman. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he's had the East Anglian one, his father's Earldman of Mercia, it's, you know... Got the CV for it. It's got the CV. Instead, it went to Tostwig, Tostig Godwinson. Oh, dear. Because all, all yeah. of the Godwins' sons mm. are getting the, uh, getting the big offices. So it may be that he rebels or plots in some way in response to this when he doesn't get the job. Mm. So, what he does is goes to Ireland, raises a fleet of 18 ships, and then makes an alliance with a chap called Griffith Ap Llewellyn. Oh. So, he is uh, king of Gwyneth. It's one mm. of the kingdoms in Wales. Um, together, they plunder Hereford, which is sort of on the Welsh-English uh, border, and uh, they're met, uh, potentially, to be in... So they plunder Hereford on the border, and then Edward the Confessor's nephew, a chap called Ralph the Timid, comes to sort them out. Mm, okay. Is he the best man for the job? <laughs> <laughs> In fairness, it is this particular incident that leads to his uh, unfortunate okay. soubriquet. He's routed, the town is sacked, and Harold Godwinson has to be sent up to negotiate a settlement instead. Uh, okay, so he went from Ralph the potentially lethal <laughs> yes. to Timid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and thus Elfgar is restored to favour. Right. No longer exiled. Now, we've not really talked about Wales in this series. No. Before. So a little bit of backgroundy stuff. Wales is conquered by the Romans. Yeah. Proper backgroundy stuff here. <laughs> After the Romans head off in the 5th century, we've got the Angles and the Saxons and the Jutes coming over, hmm. uh, sort of from Germany-ish area, invading into England, and then they're pushing the native Britonic peoples 
away. Mm. So we end up with them separated into Wales as the largest region mm. of the native Britons, but also Cornwall and Strathclyde, which is now in Scotland. So all on the west. So when the whole island mm. was inhabited by Britons, mm. that, I mean, this is much further back and it's difficult to know the history, but are we to assume there was, there was less distinction between the nations? There was no nation of... Oh, there was Wessex, Mercia, and all this, these places. Well, those are all Saxon kingdoms. Also, oh, but what I mean is, there was no. There would have Welsh. been lots of different tribes, yeah. but there wouldn't have been an England, a Scotland, and a Wales. Yeah. Mm. And that's that was an identity built up by the invasion of the Saxons. Mm. 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 Anyway, the uh, the Saxons have pushed them all to the west. Um, so Wales is the biggest region of the native Britons. Mm. And it is divided into various kingdoms. So we've got Gwyneth in the northwest, Paris in the east. Paris? Uh, Powys. Oh, Powys, sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, I looked up how to pronounce this earlier. Dehabath in the southwest. Um, these are the most powerful ones, but there are quite mm. a few others. Now, it's rare to have one ruler in Wales. Mm. might partly be due to the inheritance system where lands are divided between sons rather than just going to the oh. oldest son. But you do start to see some becoming more powerful. We've got Frodery Ap Murfin and Hywel and Dar, who established their rule over most of modern Wales. And some do then get recognised as King of the Britons. Mm. So that's sort of like High King in Ireland or the Bretwalder of the early Saxons. They're not technically king of the whole nation, but they are recognised. The leader of monks' leaders. Yeah. However, then comes Griffith Af Llewellyn. Mm. His father had ruled Gwyneth and Powys, but when he died in 1023, his rival, a chap called Iago, took the throne. But then in 1039, Iago is killed, his son is exiled to Dublin, and Griffith becomes king again. Now, he's an increasingly powerful figure. He actually kills a brother of Leofric of Mercia in battle. Oh, he's in trouble. He then seizes Morganwick and Gwent, as, various, as well as various other territories along the English border. And then following a victory against an English army, he is recognised as king of all Wales. Right. Not just within Wales, but also by England. Right. So Edward the Confessor recognises him as the king of Wales. Gosh, yes, yeah, it's, it's weird to, I suppose, think of an English king being so concerned with internal politics mm. to not have a little eye on Wales at this point, either for conquer or already conquered. Mm. But this is their opportunity then to build up. Yeah, so this is the first identity. first time we ever have a king of Wales, and indeed mm. he's the only one to be fully acknowledged king of Wales, mm. both in Wales uh, and England. So he'd had that alliance with Elfgar in 1055 uh, with the attack on Hereford. Now, in 1057, Leofric, the Earldman of Mercia, finally dies. Mm -hmm. Didn't make it to 1066. Damn. So Elfgar finally gets to be Earldman of Mercia. Right. And at this point, he seems to have decided to make a more formal alliance with Griffith. Mm. And what's the best way to make a formal alliance with somebody? Um, uh, beer. Or? Marriage. 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 Enter yes. stage left. Eldgith of Mercia. The star of the show today. The star of today's show. Right. She marries Griffith at Llewellyn and becomes the Queen Consort of Wales. Graham, you're doing the wrong series. <laughs> How many times? England. <laughs> England, England, England. Oh, shall I come back next week? Yeah, yeah. So she is the first and indeed last, the only Queen Consort of Wales. Rex, fact. And what's her name again? Eldgith of Mercia. Eldgith I don't know why that one's so difficult. Hmm. Eldgith of Mercia. Why isn't she Eldgith of Wales? 
Well, let's continue the story. Uh, She's given modest estate in England that uh, Griffith owns. And from this point on, Griffith's reign within Wales is largely peaceful because he's so dominant, he's achieved recognition from Edward so he's not going to get invaded. Oh, just a terrible irony there. That the Edward was the only one to grant uh, <laughs> recognition to the ki- only King of Wales. And Always then... remember, an Edward will do right by Wales. <laughs> 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 and Edward will start us, and Edward will finish. <laughs> um, and it's probably likely that this Welsh Mercian alliance is seen as a check on Godwin power, or Godwinson right. power. Mm-hmm. Both for Elfgar, of course, with the Mercian stuff, mm-hmm. but also for Gwyneth with the Welsh stuff. It makes sense to have an al- yeah. ally within Ooh, England to check that growing power. Because Harold Godwinson, by this, this point in history, is pretty much running the show for Edward mm. the Confessor, who's mainly just building his abbey mm. uh, in Westminster. Shed. His shed, indeed, a shed where he can sulk. Now, in 1062, or thereabouts, Elfgar himself dies. Oh, yeah. Seems to have left Griffith a little bit vulnerable. Mm. So, Harold launches a surprise raid into Wales in 1063. Gosh, it really was necessary, that alliance. Mm. Griffith is able to escape this, but then Harold and Tostig launch a full-scale invasion of Wales. Harold takes the fleet south and links up with Tostig's army in the north. Mm. Good tactics. Good tactics. Uh, And this is because they lost a brother to this fellow. Uh, it's not their brother. It was Leofric's brother. Oh, sorry, yeah. It's because they don't want a very powerful king of Wales. They just want to take put Wales back as just this sort of lots of little sub-kings that you can kind of keep under easy control. Poor old Wales. And poor old Griffith. He takes refuge in Snowdonia, but is murdered, possibly by a son of Iago, the chap that he'd had to kill to mm. get back the throne in the first place. Um, his head and the figurehead of his ship are sent to Harold, and the kingdom is divided once again. Mm. Oh dear. And Elgith of Mercia is, of course, widowed. Yeah. It's not known if she was with him when he was murdered, but at some point she returns to her family in Mercia. Mm-hmm. So Elfgar, her father, is dead, so it's now her brother Edwin who is Eldman of Mercia. Right. Okay. And she now is uh, back to being uh, nobody. Back to being plain old Elgith of Mercia. Right. So, Edwin is the Earldman of Mercia. He's one of the three main earls in the country, uh, as along with Harold, who's the Earldman of Wessex, and Tostig, who's the Earldman of Northumbria. And what about your Sanglia, sorry? Uh, that's... Is that Godwin. Gith or Leofwin? It's one of the Godwinsons. Okay, yeah. Now, we recall from last time, in 1065, Tostig was very unpopular in Northumbria. Oh, yeah. And there was a local revolt uh, against him, which received aid from Edwin and Morka, yeah. Eldgith's brothers. And Morka is then selected by them as their new earl. Mm. So Harold was sent to meet them and basically sort it all out. He finds that they've got a pretty large army, mainly of Mercians, and also Northumbrians, and probably Welshmen are there as well. Yeah. That alliance is still going strong. So Harold decides to accept Morka as earl and rather throws his brother Tostig under the bus. Yeah, right. So Tostig went into exile in Flanders, intent on revenge against Harold. And we've seen now a bit of a sea change, because we've got Harold still as Elderman of Wessex, but Edwin, Elderman of Mercia, Morka, Elderman of Northumbria. So it's just one Godwin now. Yeah, I mean, there's still the other two Godwins with their slightly smaller Eldams, but, but now two of the big three are these brothers. Yeah. Okay. Eldgith's brothers. 
Okay, so she's looking more attractive. She's looking more attractive. Now, Harold is still the most powerful man in the country. He's basically in charge of the army, running the country, and, of course, Edith of Wessex's sister is the queen and also very dominant. Mm. So it's not that the Godwinsons have been completely thrown to one side. Harold's said to have been a very tall man, very well-built, eloquent, affable. Apparently he was able to overthrow a horse and rider with one single blow. <laughs> that sounds like something. Oh, it's axe rather than just going. Oh no, I was definitely meant, thought you meant a punch. Like it sounds like something Alan Partridge would say. <laughs> Can, I've knocked out a horse once. <laughs> now it's probable at this point, if not earlier, that Harold is plotting to make himself king of England. Mm-hmm. Edward the Confessor doesn't have any children, and although there is this Edgar the Etheling, who is the last sort of royal Saxon male, he's quite young, doesn't really have any support at court. So Harold thinks he's got a pretty decent chance as the de facto most powerful man. Yeah, this and this fellow. Sorry, that, yeah, uh, this <laughs> fellow, the Etheling, he's the guy that I'm always a bit fascinated by. Mm. That's so he's that one, the Etheling. Yeah, yeah, he's that one. But of course, Harold doesn't have any kind of blood claim to the throne, so it's going to be difficult. He's obviously going to face opposition from the likes of William, the Duke of Normandy, who thinks that he's been named as Edward's heir. But Harold's also concerned that he's going to face opposition within the country. Mm. So to ensure his safe succession to the throne, he really needs to get the support of some of the major earls in the country. Mm -hmm. And of course, the two main powerhouses now are Edwin and Morca, Mm -hmm. brothers of Eldgith of Mercia. Mm, she's looking attractive. What's the best way to cement an alliance? Yeah. Beer. <laughs> and marriage. So Harold, who was technically already married to Edith Swanneck. Uh, uh, sorry, who? Edith Swanneck repudiates his first wife of some 20 years uh-huh. and agrees to marry Eldgith of Mercia. And um, old Duckface was happy with this. She probably gets sent off to Waltham Abbey. Yeah. Waltham Abbey. Mm. Oh, that's local reference. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so, in 1066, Edward the Confessor dies, and Harold Godamson is successful in becoming king, and either just before this or just after this, he marries Eldgith of Mercia, and she becomes the Queen Consort of England. Now, I don't mean to look ahead or spoiler alert, but I don't reckon she's going to get very long for the old dynasty score. It's, it's possible that uh, she... What do I mean? Longevity. Longevity, yeah. Well, she's not, not got a lot of time to do no. <laughs> too much with Harold. Um, obviously, he's trying to support his own claim to the throne by mm. getting the support of Edwin and Morca. He's also probably got one eye on the fact that he knows that Tostig is likely to mm. come back mm. and challenge him, so he needs them on side. He's also probably trying to stave off that threat of the Mercian-Welsh alliance. Yeah. Because it's that funny thing with Harold, that obviously we're viewing it through modern eyes, but at the time, he's not thinking, well, obviously the mortal th- apocalyptic apocalyptical threat is Normandy. Yeah, then the other side of the sea. He's thinking, right, well, I've got 20 years of the throne here. I need to do something about the Welsh. I've got this Tostig chap. I need to do yeah. figure out the north. But Tostig, what's his threat? Because he definitely doesn't have a claim. Once the, this fellow's king, mm. Tostig would just be um, someone rebelling. It wouldn't be that, okay, they've got beef, but... Um, well, exactly, but equally well, equally in that circumstance, nobody in 1066 who's fighting for it has an actual blood claim to the yeah, throne. So Tostig is a, a successful and powerful soldier, as we've seen mm. in that Welsh campaign. He's married to the daughter of this Count of Flanders, and he links up with the King of Norway, Harold Hardrada. Mm. So Tostig effectively supports Hardrada's equally spurious claim to the throne. Oh, okay, so it might be that they, in the future, would have had it out if mm. they had won. Mm. Yeah. 
So it's all going to be a little bit busy in uh, 1066. Uh, but nevertheless, Eldgith is having been Queen Consort of Wales, now Queen Consort of England. Mm. An interesting dynamic, given that Harold is effectively the man responsible for the death of her first husband. Mm. But 1066, unfortunately, there's not a lot of time for romance and pleasantries. First of all, Tostig tries to raid northern England, but he's seen off by Edwin and Morka. He then comes back with Harold Hardrada, and on the 20th of September defeats Edwin and Walker in the Battle of Fulford, though they are able to s- escape and survive that, but it's a bad defeat in the north of England. So he stays, does he? Or he, he... They stay up there, and so on the 25th of September, Harold Godwinson storms up to York. Oh, that one. Defeats and kills Tostig and Hardrada in the Battle of Stamford Bridge. But then William, Duke of Normandy, invades at pretty much the same time. You, this has all happened so quickly, I can't believe we're doing it just like this. Harold storms down to go and fight against William. Mm. Edwin and Morker, for whatever reason, choose not to join Harold's army. Mm. Wessex and Mercia. God, that could have tipped the balance, couldn't it? Mercia decides not to help. Oh my With word. Harold having just rescued the North. <laughs> they don't wow. then come. In their defence, perhaps, you know, their armies have probably been depleted by Fulford. It might take them a bit of time to raise their forces again. Maybe also Harold should have delayed going after William and recouped, uh, regathered his own forces a bit better. But nevertheless, as you say, had they been present... I mean, even a, even a thousand more yeah, soldiers or the whatever. Th- the three great earls all there with their retinues together. Gosh. Isn't but, that f- interesting? All history's on a knife edge. But they didn't go, and Harold is killed in the Battle of Hastings on the 14th of October, either by an arrow in the, an arrow in the eye mutilated by Norman Assassin Squad or a bit of both. What do you reckon? I reckon, let's say a bit of both. I quite like the eye, though. Like ju- just going just straight down with the eye. Yeah, and then going... Just Whoa. straight in and then... <laughs> yeah, straight over. No one sort of pausing going... Ooh. You feel it's sort of one of those moments where if it was like the Hunger Games or something, that would have happened and then there would have been this huge... Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the music would have slowed down yeah. and all this. Instead, I'm sure it would have been... <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, dear. <laughs> And for Eldgith of Mercy, of course, that means that once again, she is widowed. Um, hang on. Do we suspect foul play by... Um, Eldgith of Mercy. Yeah. Hunger Games, maybe she was a dab hand with an arrow from a distance. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I didn't I didn't think of that. Yes, that was a better reference than I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't think it's no. likely that she was okay. at Hastings herself. Where was she? Do we think... Do we know... Because they did used to come along, didn't they? Uh, I think maybe think of Boudicca. Oh, yeah, Romans, that's mm. right, wrong, wrong century. Um, she is probably based in London during the battle. So at this point, Edwin and Walker rush to the capital and remove her to Chester for safekeeping. Remove her chest what? To Chester. Okay. So this is obviously in Mercia and also close to Wales, mm. and as far as possible, really, from... Those Frenchmen. All, all the Frenchmen. Now, it's possible, and this maybe is why Edwin and Walker decide not to really help Harold, it's mm. possible that they try to have one of themselves elected as king in 1066 after Harold's death. That's so rubbish. What a, what a crap time to try. But it's clear that there's no uh, support for this, so they mm. consent to the election of Edgar the Etheling, mm. the one who is technically the only yeah. rightful yeah. <laughs> king of all of them, of course. But they soon abandon him once William, Duke of Normandy, turns up with his army. Yeah. And it all peters away very quickly. So initially they submit to William and they are you know, at his court and 
going along with stuff, uh, but they later raise rebellions in Northumbria and Mercia, are initially forgiven. Huh. By William. Yeah, he really he does kind of try, to be fair. To, to be fair. To be fair. But in 1071, they were apparently set to be arrested again. Apparently Edwin was grumpy that he didn't wasn't going to get to marry one of William's daughters or something. So they're probably planning another rebellion. Flee court. Edwin tries to get to Scotland, but is betrayed by his own men and murdered. Uh. Morker tried to... Uh, no, Morker... Morker joins Hereward the Wake mm. and the insurgents on Ely. Mm-hmm. But he also is forced to surrender. He apparently receives a personal assurance that he'd be pardoned by William, but instead he was in prison for the rest of his life. Well, I suppose he wasn't killed. He wasn't killed. But what of Eldgith? Yeah. Two husbands dead. Brothers dead or imprisoned. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit disastrous. She flees Chester either after or just before William occupies the city in 1069, 1070. Possible that she went to Dublin. Mm. That's where Harold Godwinson's sons and mother went mm. after all of this. Interesting, later on, the Abbey of La Chaise Dieu in Auvergne records that an English Queen Edith was apparently cured of leprosy by the abbot there and paid for the construction of, mona- of a monastic dormitory. That's definitely her, right? Almost certainly would have been her, yeah. It's not Edith of Wessex. Um, so it's likely she's either on a pilgrimage and visits by chance or she went because of its reputation mm. and had leprosy, mm. which is another bit of bad luck that she seems yeah, to have <laughs> caught along the way. On the other hand, it does suggest that she was able to maintain her wealth and travel as a an independent woman, despite... World's first tourist. Invented tourism. <laughs> Invented tourism. And she's apparently buried at the Abbey uh, of La Chaise Dieu in Auvergne uh, sometime in the 1070s or 1080s, we reckon. So we don't know when she was born or when she died. No. Let's see how she gets on when we review her. Battleliness! Well, it's an interesting thing for the uh, all of these factors, really, in reviewing them, because if you're just to put in bullet points the key things about Old Gith of Mercia, then it would sound like we're on to something pretty special. Why? Well, she's sent off to Wales, and is the only ever Queen Consort of Wales. Good point. She's widowed when her husband is murdered, which may be a pretty frightening experience. Mm-hmm. Comes back to England, steps up again, and marries Harold Godwinson, and thus becomes the Queen Consort of England. Mm-hmm. So she is the only woman, of course, to be the Queen Consort of England and the Queen Consort of Wales. This is full of Rex facts, this episode. And 1066, she's married. Uh, she's widowed for a second time, manages to escape to France and... Get only she married uh, William. Was William married at this point? Alas. Oh. Alas, he was. Yeah. Um, that's all very impressive it's all quite tenacious you think what a life she must have led the people that she would have known the things she would have seen she's at the heart of all these events very dramatic if you're going to write some historical fiction and you want a blank canvas but who's right there in the centre what a character absolutely yeah because we we've got I mean blank canvas in that we don't know enough about her that you could take some licence yeah I mean there's taking licence and then there's just putting in any factual evidence of anything other than the simple bare (laughs) bullet point of Queen of Wales. Yeah. Queen of England. Wow. How exciting. So I presume Hollywood are getting right onto that. Well, they should be. So there's a lot of potential for them. Um, The downside is that, as I said, she is really a blank canvas. In terms of battliness, 
I mean, I, you know, as I said, we can suggest that there's a certain tenacity and, you know, keeping on going and from place to place, but there's no evidence of personal agency or campaigning. Maybe she's just a dynastic pawn rather than powerful in her own right. We oh. don't know either way. It's a real shame after we've had two big hitters, haven't we, with Emma mm. and the other Emma. Mm. I, lo- I like your and, description. And Edith. Of <laughs> Which one was he? Of Wessex. Uh, <laughs> Edward the Confessors. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You briefly yeah, said yeah. yes and then yeah, yeah. decided you didn't. Didn't like her, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's weird then to to go from these women that are increasingly powerful. You think it's just it's a sign of culture change and people are taking more notice and then suddenly another one where, no. Nah. Absolutely nothing. I mean, there's there's some different factors in that. I mean, obviously the biggest is the fact that Harold is only there for less than a year and the Normans are pretty keen on, you know, deleting this little period of mm. history really and getting back to the proper order of mm. things which is William becoming king so she's the worst time to become consul if Harold had been king for 20 years one imagines she would mm. have uh, made much more of an impression on the historical record you always have um, you always bring up charters where she signed a charter next to the king and stuff uh, yeah, I'm not sure whether she would have done or not the other thing of course is that Harold basically spends the entire period that they're married um, yeah, fighting. Fighting or preparing to fight. Mind you, with other consorts, that's the time when they've stepped up and filled uh, shoes that were normally had male feet in. Mm. But none of that even. No, so for badliness, I'm, I fear it's, it'd be pretty tenuous to give her much above a zero. If indeed anything above a zero. Oh. Zero. I think it's got to be zero. Scandal! I mean, she marries the man responsible for her husband's death. Ooh, talk me through that again. How did that work? So she was married to Griffith Ap Llewellyn, King of Wales. Mm-hmm. Harold Godwinson invades yeah. Wales. Yeah. Um, isn't directly responsible for mm-hmm. Griffith's death, though one suspects that he was yeah. sowing the seeds mm-hmm. and then has his head and figure of it, head of his ship displayed somewhere. Yeah. And then she goes on to oh, marry God, Harold. I imagine that on the wedding night. Yeah. Oh, let me look around my new house. What's <laughs> in here? Don't go in there. It's <laughs> so your trophy room. Yes, don't go in there. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, that's no good. The extent to which she's really got an awful lot of choice in this matter no. is probably quite limited, though. Because her family is is powerful, but... It's the Godwins that are really powerful. So they'd have been pushing it as well. Mm. And with Harold Godwinson wants to become king of England after Edward the Confessor dies, so he needs the support of her brothers mm. as the earls of Mercia and Northumbria. What is in it for them, like earls of uh, Northumbria, if they'd have pushed back on this marriage, would there have been a chance that they could have been king? No, because, I mean... Howard's claim is pretty tenuous, but he is by far the most powerful man in the country. He has basically been running the country. They really don't have a claim, and they certainly won't have any support in Wessex, as they so apparently find out after yeah, Howard's yeah. So it's just rubber stamping. Yeah, and from their perspective, they are potentially in the future going to be the uncles of the king. Yeah, we we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they could always Richard the Third it. Mm. Mm. Okay. So certainly some... Uh, rather morally dubious uh, designs and actions from Edwin and Walker, but I'm not sure if it's really fair to apply that to Eldgith herself. No. So I'm afraid it might need to be another zero. I can't believe this is happening in a... (laughs) In the final... year. Yeah. Queen of Wales and Queen of England. Hmm. 
But it's a zero for scandal. Subjectivity. I mean, I, I can't really think of anything to say at all. Either way. A Queen of Wales? Yeah, I mean... Zero. It's another zero, I'm afraid. Longevity. What's going on? I thought I was coming here to do Chateau Gaillard, and now we've got a <laughs> zero, 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 zero <laughs> consort. Well, don't worry, because she was the Queen Consort of England, and therefore she does have a score for longevity. Okay. It's going to be a big one if she's going to score. She's the Queen Consort of England from the 5th of January, 1066, to the 14th of October, 1066, which is 0.75 years, a score of 1.5 out of 20. Wow. I didn't even think she'd get 1 out of 20 for that. 56th best. Out of? 60. She's she's fourth from the bottom in one category. Yeah. Ironically, she's actually higher up in some of the other ones because there'll be people with more people with zero. Oh, uh, right. So, uh, um, she was also, of course, Queen Consort of Wales from 1057 to uh, the 5th of August 1063, which is about six years. Can't do anything But she that. doesn't get any credit for that. No. Nope. She doesn't get any credit for that because we're just looking at England. Mm. Dynasty, not the programme. Well, I mean, you know, she's only actually married to Harold for nine months. That's long enough. It is long enough. She does have a no score way. for Dynasty. One surviving child by Harold, which gives her a score of 7.5 out of 20. Joint 33rd. Wow. I was not expecting that. Uh, they have a son called Harold. <laughs> it's a chance, isn't it? It's not 100% certain because he has this previous wife and various sons by her. So there's mm. some sort of debate over um, how many, if any, are by Eldgith, but it's thought very likely that this um, Harold is her son by Harold. Uh, he's probably born in Chester, so after, obviously, Hastings, after Harold mm. dies. Uh, 1098, ha- this Harold appears as a follower of King Magnus Olafsson of Norway. I was going to ask what happened to him. So he's presumably exiled. He goes off into exile, goes to Norway, and becomes a part of the king's retinue. Never tries to claim the English, though. No, wise. Hmm. Um, but his mum presumably brought up in France in, with his mum doing the travel business. And yeah, or we don't say we just, maybe his mum went to Dublin initially and then to France. So maybe this young Howard was taken in by the, the yeah, other Godwins. It sounds like a very sad life, doesn't it? Mm. But he, you know, he found a found a role for himself. Love for her, so yeah. Yeah, it's very, very, very miserable. Yeah. She also has a daughter, Nest, not by Harold, but Nest. by Nest. Birds. Yes. Nest. Yes. I thought Leah Frick's spot was weird. But <laughs> okay. Uh, so this is a daughter by Gruffith of uh, Wales. Obviously, unfortunately for her, she doesn't get the credit for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Nest accompanied her back to Mercia in 1063 after Griffith's death, uh, and then probably also to Chester in 1066, but they were separated after that. She marries a marcher lord on the Herefordshire border, a chap called Osborne Fitzrichard. Oh, like a new marcher lord. A new marcher lord. So her daughter Gets does actually get in with the, the Norman lot and finds Oh, she a, might have been safe going back path. then. Yeah. Oh, a little glimmer of hope. Mm. What, but she, that old um, bird's nest, couldn't have had any uh, any power to offer that marriage. She would probably would have had lands. Oh, right. Okay. Prob- you know, probably 
lands in that sort of area, maybe actually via her father, Gwyneth. Uh, oh, Gruffith, yeah. The King of yeah. Wales probably would have had some lands oh, in so Herefordshire. Oh, so lord. So a march yeah. lord who wants to get in there, right, former King of Wales, mm. got some lands and territories here, it's quite useful. Oh, okay. Mm. I still think she should have gone to Wales instead of France. Mm. So, 7.5 for Dynasty, and when we add that to the 1.5 for Longevity, that gives her a total score of 9. <laughs> Out, what's the top score so far? Uh, the best that we've had so far is 73. Oh, okay. But it's not the lowest. Yes, it is. No, because we had Ethelfled of Damara, where we only got three and a half. Really? And Ethelfleda Anida Candida also got a score of nine. So, you know. I'm and, so surprised. And they weren't Queen of Wales and the last and final Queen Consort of England. So perhaps that is enough. For her to get that certain something, that lasting legacy, that great achievement, the star quality that we call... Rex Factor! Can we get it out of the way quickly? She clearly doesn't. I fear that the potential of being Queen Consort of Wales and England, mm. only one of Wales, the last Saxon one of England, mm. ticking big boxes there, 1066, mm. all of that, and yet we just don't know about yeah. her. But... Definitely no Rex Factor, but absolutely chock full of Rex Facts. Really was. She's someone who um, has so many claims to fame, so many claims to fame, (laughs) and yet it's just this nobody. Yeah. Just there's nothing. It's so weird, Graham. She literally, all we have is these very interesting facts. Oh, so what what was she about? I don't know. Yeah. She was also the only king of uh, uh, Queen Consort of Wales. Really? So what was it? I don't know. Hmm. I'm very, very confused, Graham. It's rather bizarre, isn't it? And thus ends the period of Anglo-Saxon consorts. God, it feels like quite a damp, squib way to go out of this. Because yeah. especially with the, all the stuff that was going on at the time. Yeah. It could have been... If there were, a, if there were an Emma or mm. the other Emma in this... Yeah. Imagine all the ways that they'd have been getting involved mm. and sorting it out and how history would have changed because of them. Mm. <sighs> but no, alas, Elgith of Mercia, the last Anglo-Saxon consort. Can I mount a defence? You could try. I can't. No. Correspondence Corner. Let us know what you think. Get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at RexFactorPod. Like the Rex Factor Podcast Facebook page and email RexFactorPodcast.hotmail.com and go to RexFactor.wordpress.com to read the blogs and complete the polls. And I have finally started doing the blogs. You have. We've posted about it and that got a great reply. And send in your hashtag consort cards. There are no Heritage Limited playing card images that we had for the first two series, so we're asking you to create your own. So if you can think of an image to bring... Uh, that empty canvas mm. that is Eldegate of Mercia to life, please send that in. Hashtag consort cards. I mean, if 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 it's vaguely female looking, it's the most accurate representation <laughs> we have of her. <laughs> anyway, uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you use, and subscribe. And if you'd like to help us financially, then you can donate monthly to our uh, bonus content and join the Privy Council. Uh, so to do that, you just go to our website and click the Be Our Patron button. Please. And we've got some new Privy Councillors to welcome to the fold. Excellent. Laura Williams. S. Tector. Stephen Kuehl, Casey Dill, M. Goulet, Marguerite, Nicola Turvitt, 
Aaron Tunney, Maverick Mitchie, Francesca... <laughs> I don't know why I stumbled over that one. Francesca Britton and Andrew and Saha Stevenson-Jones. Welcome to everyone. And we've got some messages from Privy Councillors. Love messages. Bill Walton. First of all, thank you so much for all the wonderful hours of entertainment you've provided. My friend Kinsey recommended you guys and I quickly got hooked to listening to an episode a day while commuting. I particularly enjoy it when it becomes clear that the two of you have a difference of opinion on a given topic as a reminder that good-natured disagreement can civilly take place. I know the whole world is shouting Edgar the Peaceable here. <laughs> well, let's see what Bill's got to say. Oh, God. In that spirit, I would like to present the list of topics on which I agree with Ali. Yay! One. Dunstan. Good. I mean, I can't believe anyone doesn't. But... Two. End of list. What? I won't spend all day going over the things that Ali has been wrong about, brackets, obligatory Edgar the Peaceable reference, but I will say his worst opinions are related to Edward the First. Oh, I'll see you later, Graham. I'll tell you what, if you carry on talking, I'll just <laughs> Edward the First is the guy who gives himself a nickname. I can just picture the so-called Hammer of the Scots, note, no actual hammering occurred, writhing on the floor, kicking, screaming and crying, throwing a plantagenet temper tantrum and screaming, call me Hammer, <laughs> through the tears. The combination of blowhard, building excessive structures that only lead to bankruptcy, inability to accept any form of criticism, abominable immigration policies and a lack of any actual substance to back him up puts me in mind of someone more modern that I'd turn to you guys to get away from in the first place. By, by way of apologising for that stern rebuke, I want to share a story about one of my favourite Rex Factor moments. While my partner was on maternity leave, it fell to me to do all the drop-off and pick-ups for our then almost two-year-old. I figured I would give his education a leg up by listening to Rex Factor in the car. One afternoon, he was having a good old time jabbering away while I was trying to listen to an, Engl an episode of the English playoffs featuring Edward III, when a loud and clear... Money came ringing out from the back seat. No way! Thanks again for all the hard work, brackets Graham, and entertaining lack of work, brackets Ali. What a little legend! <laughs> What's his name? Did we get his name? Uh, no, he didn't say his uh, son's name. Oh, it's Bill. Cool. Oh, brilliant! Thanks for the email, Bill. That's quality. Apart from the Edward the First stuff. I'm ignoring that. That's okay. fine. Kate Yarwood. Yes. I've been a monarchy history super fan ever since I read horrible histories, cruel kings, and mean queens. Finding your podcast has generally made me so happy. It's a combo of my favourite topic and jokes. Hmm. I have some things to clarify off the bat. I'm indifferent about Edgar the Peaceable. Good. Primogeniture is crucial. Brackets. Silly Scotland. Yep. Dunstan, whilst a huge killjoy, is awesome. How? Edward I is massively overrated. Oh, this is going downhill. And I can't wait for Prince Philip's episode. Nuns, but not as you know them. How can anyone think Dunstan's cool? I mean, I mean, he's total killjoy, right? On one hand, what's balancing on the other? Zero. <laughs> Carol says, "Dear Ali and Graham, you know it's time to become a member of the Privy Council when you say backgroundy stuff or we in a work meeting." We? I, I I can't remember now. I did email her and say I can't really remember where we's come from in relation to us, but she did tell me, but I've forgotten now. <laughs> <laughs> Love your work, and as the writer of a doorstep of a dissertation on early modern England, thrilled to bits, you gave Charles II his due. Hey, good stuff. I'm glad uh, Charles II is getting a doorstep. Oh, I just took oh, my phone. There goes the phone. Uh, uh, he's getting a doorstep's worth of uh, <laughs> reviewing. Indeed. Uh, some other emails now. Roxy Hook. As a question for well for us or maybe for X Factor fans, do your fans have a name? In the way that Beyonce's fans are the Beehive, I feel like Rex Factor fans should have a name too. 
I'm sure they could have done better than that. <laughs> uh, Beyonce Knowles, the uh, the all knowing ones. No, I don't know. But it's better than a beehive. What's going on there? Oh, because you know it's where they all go, isn't it? All the all the bees to the hive. They they they. But I mean that that implies they've got a meeting place. Well, well, I guess it implies that she's the queen bee. Yeah. Whom they're all workers and drones. Hmm. I don't like that, Graham. Well, anyway, you, you don't have to worry about her. She's <laughs> she's doing all right. But what about us? Uh, we need a name, uh, or our or Rex Factor fans need a name. We've always said Rex fans, haven't we? Yeah, or Rexies. Yeah, it just sounds like a dog. A Rexy. Yeah, it does. Well, uh, send in any suggestions if you can yeah. uh, think of a, an appropriate name for Rex Factor fans. Felix Barnes has got back to us on the uh, question of a scandal score for Elfgiver. This is the Elfgiver who was married to Edwig and the wife part of the threesome with the mother and the wife. Right, yeah. That Dunstan yeah, yeah, yeah. broke yeah. up at the coronation yep. banquet. And there was some discussion about whether we overmarked or undermarked her. Mm-hmm. I was laughing at the discussion in your latest pod about Elfgiver's scandal score compared to Edwig uh, because actually we found that she got a higher score than... Him. Oh right, that that's pretty bad, isn't it? I agree with Ali's ten and hers being so much higher. The gross fact that I think she gets extra points for is that her own mother is with them. It's not Edwig's mother, so his score is just having the threesome. Yeah. But Elfgiver has seduced Edwig with her mother. I'm starting to side with Dunstan on the subject. Oh, well, I won't go that far, but that is a good point. Mm. Is that a point that I made at the time? Was it? Uh, I don't know if you made that point, but it does back up whatever point you did make. Yeah, well, I'm backing up the point that I potentially made and I'm making now. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we got an email from a chap called Brandon Bender on Ethelred the Unready and his military mm. career. Dear Graham and Ali, I'm a long-term Rex Factor listener and have just written a book that I believe may interest you both. No way. The book reevaluates the military legacy of Ethelred the Unready, who received a battliness score of zero back in the early days of Rex Factor. Hard to believe that was nearly ten years ago. Anyway, in the book, I take a close look at Ethelred's many campaigns and endeavours, including some victories he was involved in. If Ethelred's battliness is something you're interested in revisiting, I hope you'll find the book worthwhile. It's called England's Unlikely Commander, The Military Career of Ethelred the Unready. After all, if Edgar the Peaceable can get an apology from Ali, maybe there's still hope for Edgar's son. I totally agree. So Ethelred, I've sort of had a little look at this, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I've had a sort of a preview of it, and yeah, there are lots of military campaigns and initiatives that he led mm. um, that we certainly didn't go into detail when we actually reviewed him so maybe maybe yeah, we maybe, need to have another look yeah I was saying maybe we should uh, maybe we could have a chat with Brandon at some point and uh, he oh, can that'd be good. tell us a little bit more about it well let's do that hmm. how about a Saxon joke I, Graham I don't like jokes you might like this one <laughs> okay it was sent to us by Jack Titchard though it's, it's a tweet from the QI Elves the oldest known British joke dates from the 10th... Jack Titchard? Yes. I know Jack. Oh. Yay. Hello, Jack. Hello, Jack. The oldest known British joke dates from the 10th century. Found in a book of Anglo-Saxon poetry, it reads, What hangs at a man's thigh and wants to poke the hole that it's often poked before? <laughs> okay. I do like jokes. <laughs> okay. Um... So basically you're saying don't think of... I guess it's a rude riddle, really, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, Hangs at a man's thigh. I reckon this will be something that isn't at all relevant now, like they had a special knife that did something. 
Everything sounds filthy now, doesn't it? Mm. I don't know, Graham. What does poker owl <laughs> uh, pokes? A key. Oh, that is still relevant. That is good. I do like that. There yeah. you go. I prefer a riddle. Mm. I prefer a riddle, yeah. Riddle or a limerick, mm. it turns out. Now, something, and a final thing, a fun thing I saw on uh, Twitter. This was, when was this? It was probably before Christmas now when this was. There was a hashtag Saints World Cup on Twitter. Really? So you might have seen, people might have seen Richard Osman from uh, Pointless doing this, where he like the World Cup of Crisps and World Cup of Chocolate and stuff, where mm. basically you just do the polls and everybody's voting, and it goes round by round like a mm. World Cup. So Charlotte uh, Liebelt at Havelock the Dutch and Lily Hawker Yates at Gwen of Monmouth ran polls doing a Saints World Cup on Twitter. Mm. So they had 138 Saints competing, including some Rex Factor favourites, Edward the Confessor mm-hmm. was in there, uh, Margaret of Wessex, one of um, came Queen of Scotland, Thomas Beckett. Mm-hmm. Edith and Wilton were all in are there. Gonna, are you building up to Dunstan? Well, none of those did particularly well, but of course there is always Dunstan. In the first round, he came up against Ermin Ilda of Ely and Artemius of Antioch. One of my favourites. And he was victorious. Right. In the second round, he was up against Ed Berger of Winchester. He was going to win that round. He won that round. He's now into the quarterfinals against Elizabeth of Hungary. Now, this is the first point at which I became aware of Saints World Cup, and I found Dunstan in a live poll losing. Did you vote for him? Oh, I didn't just vote for him. I got the Rex Factor Twitter no, fans on didn't. board, and Dunstan stormed to victory <laughs> and into the semi-finals. No uh, in the did semi- you really? I did. In the semi-finals, he was up against Ginnefort and Wilgefortis. Oh, I'd never heard of them. He's going to go into the final, right? Well, once again, he is losing. And this time, the Rex Factor fans came to the rescue and he stormed into the grand final. No. Oh, my life. So the grand final is now Dunstan up against Cuthbert. Like that? Surely Francis of Assisi or Christopher or lots of big hitters. I think we're looking at sort of more Anglo-Saxony okay. type. All right. Hild, also northeastern one, Hildegard of Bingen, and as I said, Dunstan. Now, once again, he's a bit slow out of the blocks, Dunstan. He was trailing in fourth place with just 13% of the vote. Mm. And I got the Rex Factor fans into the campaign. Oh, my Lord. And he absolutely stormed, staging a remarkable comeback to come slightly less badly last than he was before. (laughs) With 16% of the vote, he came fourth in the grand final. I really like that because I think that would have annoyed him far more (laughs) <laughs> then dropping out of the first phase when he could have just gone on for the three months, whatever it was lasting, mm. just set, telling everyone how it didn't count, it was rubbish, it, this is the real quiz and all that sort of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Um, uh, I've thrown a cat over the pub, what has he done? I've pulled a tong off the <laughs> devil or whatever it was. But to get to the final, he would have invested himself in that. Uh, third place was Hilda in 17%, so he almost got a bronze medal. Mm. Uh, Cuthbert, second with 28%, and Hildegarda of Bingen was the winner with 39%. To so be fair to Dunstan, he and Cuthbert are the only ones I've heard of that lot. Well, I mean, I've heard of Hild, because that's, uh, that's another saint at, for Durham College. Hilda oh, right. Um, I mean, I suppose if we look at that, you know, Hild, 17%, Cuthbert, 28%, those are two northeastern saints, put them together, that's 45% would have beaten 
Hildegard of Bingen. So it's obviously the problem with the first past the post electoral system. Yes, that, I know, completely agree with with all parts of that argument. Goodness me, splitting the northeast vote. And now I thought actually this is quite a fun thing. I thought given that we you know we're coming up to ten years of starting mm. the uh, podcast, mm. maybe for our tenth anniversary we should do a English Monarchs Twitter World Cup. That would be a great idea. And see see who comes out on top. Yeah. When we do that. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see if the same make it through to the yeah. finals, etc. Mm. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. We should think about more about what to do for our tenth anniversary. When is our tenth anniversary? August. Mm. Ideas on a postcard. Yeah. Uh, and finally, a message from Robin about the question of uh, subjectivity mm. and the consorts. Hi, guys. I think you really underrated Sigrith of subjectivity, and this highlights a potential issue that could continue through the series for those consorts who are women, which is obviously most of them. Sigrith's <laughs> actions are so important because they show her creating a world where men are held accountable for their actions towards women, something women are still struggling to create today. In a time where women's identity and preferences were treated as largely inconsequential, Sigrid's actions are not just about vengeance, but also establish her agency and her sense of her own worth as a human being. In my view, any strike against the patriarchy, in quotes, is good subjectivity. I think it's possible for some consorts' actions to get lost because they aren't obvious subjectivity, like they made a law or they gave assistance during famine. The thing to keep in mind is that no matter their position or power status, every woman in this series is expected to be the subject of her husband, her father, etc. In the other series, the subjects in subjectivity were an abstract mass, whereas in this series, the subject is also the focus of the episode. Whatever the, these women do to promote their own agency, advance their interests, and establish their own, their own identity is subjectivity. God, that's a great point well put, isn't <laughs> it's a it? a great well-made point. I mean, I feel like we did do that early when we were giving uh, some of these consorts the credit for the idea of queenship. Yes. But wholeheartedly take the point on board. Mm. Well, that's fake because I replied to the email and that was the point that I raised. Great minds, great minds. Great minds, Graham. And the question of agency and subjectivity, I think my view was like what you said, that we credit where they've advanced the cause of queenship, mm. which is obviously a very select group of women but nevertheless yeah, yeah. it's advancing something as a legacy mm. whereas what we're doing for battliness is effectively crediting agency there yeah mm. unless we can demonstrate that it has a bit more of a wider impact even if it is just for future queens but that's where you can see a legacy yeah. beyond just the personal whereas i think sigrith just got fed up and burnt some people that she didn't like yeah it's a good one to have an eye on though isn't it mm. but it's a good point and something to keep in mind as we go along mm. please do bring us up if mm. you think that you know we've yeah, exactly. got the right focus and let us know if you don't agree with that uh, our interpretation there but very good point very well made anyway that is it for Eldgith of Mercia she did not get the Rex Factor and that is the end of the Anglo-Saxon consorts What's so next? the next one we start with a special episode each time so the special episode will be on Chateau Gaillard which is a great castle of Richard the Lionheart. I really want to go there, Graham. Well, we've got Privy Council first, haven't we? Well, we're yeah, cool. so the last part of the uh, miniseries is the Privy Chamber episode for Elgar the Mercia. For main listeners to the who don't subscribe to that and don't get the special episode, your next one will be Matilda of Flanders, the Queen Consort of William of Normandy. Exciting. Mm. It's all happening, Graham. We're moving on. See you then. Cheerio.